Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. This is your host, George Muniz Gunn. Today I have a special guest with me, my grandmother, Theo Gunn. Howdy. Hi, Dino. It's a real privilege and an honor to be with you and a part of your podcast, so thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you for coming. So, uh, I have many, many questions to ask because I don't have a lot of information about autism, but I wondered if we could get really basic and explore the origins of autism. Sure. Is it, I don't know whether it's uh, genetically manifested or, or how you happen to be autistic. So, um, yeah, it's a long history. Uh, I, I believe it is, um, now it is, you know, widely believed that it is because of, uh, it is genetics. Um, there is a, a genetic link usually. Um, so it was originally back to the original history of autism. Now, um, it was developed by a, a Swiss doctor, Eugene uh, Bueller. He, in 1911, he observed, he was actually observing the behaviors of uh, autistic, he was actually behaving, observing of schizophrenic people. And he noticed that some of those schizophrenics had other um, characteristics to them too, like they were more closed off, they were um, more, you know, overwhelmed by certain things. Um, of course, he wasn't really thinking about it so much as like them being overwhelmed. He was more just focusing on their behaviors and he noticed that they had these different kinds of behaviors that turned out to be like sensory sensitivities and social communication differences that are common in autistics. And so that's that he, he was the person that eventually uh, came up with the term autism. Um, and, and then it was a few decades later that, um, Hans Asperger came along, an Austrian psychiatrist, um, that I've talked about briefly before in one of my first episodes. Um, so he took groups of autistic people and he found that some of them had quite high um, skills in, in certain areas. Um, they could work really well and really fast with certain things. And so that's where the term Asperger's syndrome came from. And because um, he would identify these autistics with high capabilities, as he put it, and he would, um, he would put them to work, to work for him, and, and that's um, that's why why they were called. Uh, and that was my original diagnosis, Asperger's syndrome, um, and that was used for lower support needs, or you know, those that were referred to as having lower support needs or support level one. Um, 
autism, which is now what is what the former diagnosis of Asperger's is called. Um, so yeah, that's like a little uh, summary of of the history of it, but it has changed a lot. Like the discourse around autism has definitely changed a lot um, in the last few years. Uh, not not just the last few. I mean, the last few decades, but then I think especially in the last few years, really. Um, more of this information has come out. It's interesting to note that um, the neurodiversity paradigm started, like the neurodiversity movement and concepts, they started um, in the 1990s. The whole concept of neurodiversity uh, started being discussed and, and um, articles were written and such. Um, but it wasn't really until the recent years with social media and everything that it started, like the, the notion of neurodiversity started really spreading more and more, you know, starting to challenge the prevailing pathology paradigm. Um, so I feel like we're in the middle of this big shift now. Do we know how pervasive it is to be uh, to how how what kind of population you have of autism. So um, I had heard that um, along the lines of five percent. I mean, I've I've heard a few different um, statistics, but I I had heard something about five percent of. In terms of diagnosed people, it being 5% of the population, but I believe that it could be, in, when you count for all the people that go undiagnosed, um, because of, you know, like the lack of awareness and understanding around autism, even by many professionals, just because it's not there's not enough taught about it, especially from the inside perspective in the schools. Um, and my therapist, my um, psychologist, um, she tells me that, you know, she didn't learn much about autism in school, um, certainly not about neurodiversity. It was only after her studies that she went to look more into it and to read from different sources and everything, and, and she became pretty well versed on it. So I personally believe that if you were to count the undiagnosed, it could be something closer to 33% of the population. I mean, that's just me. Like, that's what I think. Um, I mean, I feel like a lot of people think this way too, but um, I believe that the numbers that they give now, and they're already, the, like, because there's so many people that because they have this view of it being, like, a scary disease or something, uh, or, like, an autism crisis or whatnot, because I've read many articles like that, um, they, they're already saying it as if it's, like, alarming, like, to have one um, in 100 or to have, you know, um, even one in 20 or one in 50 or whatever numbers the different people are saying, but it's like, because they're talking about it as if it were like an epidemic of like a disease, but what it really is is, is a narrow type that was missed for so long 
and now it's really like getting more diagnosed and so like it's not it's not like autism or autistic people didn't exist before it's just like they're more um they're getting identified now and yeah i have a final question to ask um do you and your peers your autistic peers have a theory about vaccinations and autism or taking certain medications and autism because I hear a lot of controversy uh, about the causes of autism. Yeah, so that's like a big, um, one of the big misconceptions and um, yeah, one of the unfortunate messages that has gotten out there by the pathology paradigm-based um, researchers and, um, you know, because they push this whole narrative of the disease and particularly in the case of Autism Speaks, you know, pumping fear into parents so they, you know, donate more money to the eugenics-based research and, and all and so they pushed this idea um well there was this man uh this british doctor andy wakefield who um did a study and he tweaked the data um to to say that autism was linked to the mmr vaccine and that is problematic in two different ways. Um, and he actually had his medical license revoked and, um, you know, he's not able to write any more articles or anything. But um, unfortunately, a lot of people did buy into what he was saying. And there's two big problems with that. One of them is the um, anti-vax aspect of it. And to me, the bigger underlying issue is him using, kind of in a way that Autism Speaks does, him using autism as a prop to scare people and perpetuating this idea that autism is like a negative disease that needs to be cured or fixed. Um, and it's unfortunate because I've seen a lot of that information out there, like still being spread like decades later after like what he, after what um, Andy Wakefield did was disproved, um, the theories still circulate and um, I, I see still ads on the internet about um, Tylenol and like if you took Tylenol and your child is autistic um, and it's the same kind of thing where it's like these companies are trying to benefit off of lawsuits against drug companies and, and the whole thing centers around portraying autism as like a bad disease um, yeah. yeah so I notice you're in a really healthy place of self-acceptance mm -hmm. about autism. You don't consider it a handicap at all. Yeah. Um, so that's a very good place to be. And uh, I look forward to listening to more and more of your podcasts and learning more about this. And 
I thank you very much for inviting me to share. Yeah, my pleasure. I hope we can do another episode in the near future because um, then I'd like to ask you some things about uh, your family history as well. I know, like we discussed previously, that there's some pretty interesting stuff there around neurodivergence and such. Look yeah. forward to that. Thank you. Cool. Thank you.